Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator this morning. Today is Sunday, December 15th, 2013. The share ID number for Friday, December 13th, is 5627. That's 5627. This morning, A Vision for You presents an abstinence panel. The doctor's opinion teaches that we have an allergy of the body, which means that once we start eating certain foods, kinds of foods, we develop cravings which overpower us. We call that a phenomenon of craving. Part of what we have to do in step one is understand what those foods are so that we can abstain from them. Here to share their personal experience as it relates to the doctor's opinion are three recovered compulsive overeaters. We have this morning Mary F. from Florida, Esther C., who resides in Canada, and Katie G. from Massachusetts. The panelists this morning are sharing their personal experience as it relates to the text and do not represent Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And we will get started this morning with our first panelist, Mary F. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mary F. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Florida. And I am very, very grateful to be sharing this morning on the meeting with you all this Sunday morning. I um, I am going to speak from the doctor's opinion, which has absolutely revolutionized my life, my thinking about who I am. And I'd like to begin, before I turn to the doctor's opinion, and if you have your big book with you, please, please um, open to um, the doctor's opinion at the beginning of the book. But I'm first going to p- share a couple sentences from page 416, which is in the chapter, Acceptance Was the Answer. And it says, It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue, that I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. It took me a long time to become convinced that my food compulsion, my addiction, is a disease and not a moral issue, and that I had been eating as a result of a compulsion. I'm going to share with you my my personal journey of recovery where this disease has brought me um, and where this incredible 12-step control condition recovery program has led me. And I am I'm a little nervous, a little scared, but I trust that my higher power will um, give me the words that I might be of help to someone, even if that person is me. Um, I, um, I believe I was born a, um, a addicted to food having an abnormal reaction to certain foods that I cannot eat in moderation, but it took me 37 years 
to get to the point to where I understood that and was willing to take the action to deal with that, with my problem. Um, I have um, just a few statistics about myself. I have been coming to Overeaters Anonymous since 1985 when I walked into my first meeting. Um, I, my top weight was 340 pounds that I know of. That's the last time I got on, on a scale at, around that weight. Um, by the grace of God and this miraculous 12-step program, I have been abstinent for um, 23 years and 11 months or something, back-to-back, weighted, measured, very clean um, abstinence. That's what I need to do, abstaining from my big binge foods. And I've been able, by the grace of God, to maintain 195 plus or minus within a couple of pounds weight loss for um, over 21 years. I, um, it took me, like I said, a great deal to become convinced that I um, was, am indeed addicted to certain foods and have an abnormal reaction. In the doctor's opinion, on the, in um, the fourth edition of the big book on, page, on Roman numeral 25, at the bottom it says, Dr. Silkworth says, I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in the group. They may mark a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. And then in the next paragraph, it says um, that Dr. Silkworth, um, he confirms that those who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as normal as his mind. I had tried many, many, many methods. They did not fail as far as weight loss is concerned. I always thought that my problem was just the weight. I, if I could just lose weight, I'd be okay. And I had a lot of success with commercial diet programs. I don't like to mention them by name because a lot of people have success in those programs, long-term success. I had success as far as losing weight. I lost 100 pounds five different times in my life and always at one point or another would gain the weight back and never knew what happened, never could understand it. I thought that I just lost my willpower or I thought that um, I just weakened for some reason. I did not realize that I have a physiological addiction to certain foods and I cannot eat them in moderation. The, there were numerous, numerous, numerous times when I would lose weight and then I would have the thought, I've lost so much weight, I can eat like a normal person now. And I always would come with, I'll just have one. I remember one time specifically a, an example of, my, of when the phenomenon of craving set in I was working for a gentleman who always had candy in his office. And um, one day, I, uh, he had left for the day, and I had the key. I went into his office, and he had a candy dish. And I thought, well, I'll just have one. And I went in, and I ate one. And then I went out to my desk again, and I um, decided I'd go in and have another one. And then I was eating a handful at a time. And then I um, knew where he kept them in his credenza. And so I got the key and unlocked his credenza. And I went in and ended up finishing two bags. 
And then I was like, now what am I going to do? Now what am I going to do? And he will know that I've eaten them. So I got in, I left work, got in my car, drove and got, and had to drive around for a few different stores to replenish my supply, came back to the office. Everybody had left, lied to the security guard that I had to get up into my office for something that I desperately needed, got into my office, went through the doors to get in, went into his office and replenished the supply, hoping that he would not get it or he would not see what I had done. All the while believing that I was going to just have won that time. There were so many times when I just was convinced that I could just eat one. And then I would end up eating so much. And I, I can vividly remember times when I thought I would eat one and then you know, five minutes later, I'd look down and I'd see that half of the cake or, or half of the pie was gone. And I'd say, I don't even remember starting. I had the thought that I would eat one. And then the phenomenon of craving, something could, took place in my body that I was absolutely powerless over. I um, have been in, in inpatient treatment two different times for my, for my addiction. Um, in the doctor's opinion on the Roman numeral 26 at the bottom, it says, those, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is still jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he is then better, has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. The first time that I went into treatment, I had been in Overeaters Anonymous for about five years, and I had been struggling in and out of the rooms, um, didn't, couldn't get clear on what abstinence was, and I called up, I had heard about a treatment center, and I called up and I said, I can't stop eating, I need to be locked up. Do you know of a place for that? And that is exactly what I was. I needed to be locked up. I knew I couldn't stop. I had had hundreds of experiences when I had stopped but could not stay stopped. I'd stopped hundreds and perhaps thousands of times, but I could not stay stopped. It says in you know in our literature that parallel with our rash and our with our um, rational thinking ran an insanely trivial response um, thinking pattern. I don't have it quoted right in front of me right here. But I would, I would pick up every time. And um, so the first time I was in treatment, I was there for seven, seven weeks, and I really did intensive work on my, on my first step and really thought that I had um, had this under my belt now. I had this figured out. And what I did, I started working a very rigorous OA program, but gradually I began to think that I didn't need to do all this stuff. I don't need to go to a meeting every day. I don't need to call my sponsor every day. I don't need to do those things that for me had helped with my, um, with my abstinence, with my sobriety. And gradually I started overeating on volume. I am addicted to volume and I do need to weigh and measure my food because for me, that's something that puts boundaries and parameters around the foods that I do eat. And I, and I eventually um, decided that I could begin eating on volume and then it, eventually I ran into my addictive foods again and then I was eating nonstop. 
Um, I did in that period of time lose over 100 pounds, 120 pounds, and I thought that I was okay. I thought I was managing it. I thought that I could control it. And in the next four years, I spent in and out of relapse again. And I would have some periods of abstinence, some periods of, of relapse, and never understanding that, that I was eating to get an effect. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by the alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth or the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And for me, I, I experienced that so much. I don't know if you relate with that huge sense of, ah, that's what the food did for me. It gave me that sense of, ah, that sense of ease and comfort which came at once. I craved and ran after the effect of what I got from my addictive foods. Coming to identify what foods are addictive for me and what the foods that I have to abstain from was not all that hard once I got honest um, about the foods that I binged on. My primary addictive food is sugar for me. Um, I got to the point where I did not think that life would be worth living if I could not eat sugar. I was willing to die for sugar. Um, I, uh, once I would get that sense of ease and comfort that I talked about, um, the phenomenon of craving would develop, and I would again be in that vicious cycle of craving, 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 abstaining, going through the detox, having headaches, being nauseated, being sick, white-knuckling, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. The phenomenon of craving would kick in in its most potent form within about three days when the, when the detox period was at its strongest, and I would succumb yet again to the desire. And then I would binge and binge and binge and binge and binge till I was sick and hopeless and had tombstones in my eyes like people talk about on this line. And then I would once again, I would get to the point of, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Something has to change. Something has to change. Again, again, gear up, gear up all my strength, all my muster, all my determination, all my self-will. And I would again control the food for a period of time. And then I would go through that, that phenomenon of craving and this mental obsession would be so strong and I would again succumb. And then it says in the big book, in doctor's opinion, this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is little hope of his recovery. Well, in the, in the end of 1989, I had again been on a weight loss program where I had lost 60 pounds. And I had um, gotten down to 200, which I always thought was this magical number. And again, I had this insanely trivial excuse, this insane thought, that after a period of abstaining from my binge food, because that's what I did when I was on this diet, I was abstaining from my binge food, I um, decided that on December 7th of 1989, I could pick up, that I could have one piece of pie. Mary, you've lost 60 pounds. You're doing really good. You're, you know, you're, you're working really hard. 
you can have one piece. You deserve it. December 7th, 1989, I ate one piece, convinced that I was going to be able to stop. And I could not stop. The phenomenon of craving had kicked in so strongly. My body is different. When I eat certain foods, there is one symptom in common. It says in Roman numeral 30, near the bottom of the page, all of these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot stop drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. I am different in my body. And in, in, interestingly enough, there had been times when I had picked it up and I thought, oh, this is not, I'm doing okay for a day or a two. And then I would be off again. And this particular time on December 7th of 1989, I was off and running and I could not stop. And I binged every day, every day on my addictive foods, which were basically combinations of sugar, flour, fat, and excess volume. I binged every day for 42 days, out of control, completely. During that period of time, I decided that I would eat till I died because I knew I could not stop. And even if I did stop, I was convinced that life would not be worth living without sugar. Absolutely convinced. Absolutely convinced. During those 42 days, I gained 56 pounds, binging absolutely out of control. I had my whole funeral plan. I had what I was going to wear, what songs I wanted to be sung, everything. Number one, I could not fight anymore. I was exhausted. I was 37 years. This disease had beaten me. It had mastered me. It had won. And I was done. I said, if life, if I cannot stop, I've proven that to myself. This time is the time to end all time. And even if I could stop, I was convinced that life would not be worth living without sugar. And so I was ready to die. And somehow there was a little glimmer of hope in me. I don't know what it was. It had to have been that little tiny spark from my higher power. And I called the treatment center that I had been in before that was incredible. They, you know, they believed this. They used a 12-step model. This was my, this is my experience. And I talked to someone down there and I left and I went down to treatment again. And I didn't tell anybody. I was embarrassed. My husband at the time said to me, Mary, you're, you're um, an adult. You know what to do. You've done this before. Just put the fork down. And I would get so angry at him because I'd think, you don't understand. You don't get it. But the truth was, I didn't get it either. I still thought I could control it. I still thought that if I just tried harder, I could do it. I didn't understand the nature of my disease, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. So I went down to treatment and I spent five weeks in inpatient treatment followed by three months in a halfway house for my food addiction. And when I was in treatment, I did a written first step and I read it like probably many of us have. It was a history of my eating, all the attempts that I have tried, all the foods that I binged on, all of my failures, all of my incidences of powerlessness, 
um, all of that. I read it. I got to the end. I said, there should have been something more I could have done. I just didn't try hard enough. And for, for God's wisdom, my higher power's wisdom, somebody on that staff got that Mary does not get that she has a disease. She does not get this. This is going to kill her. And they gave me the assignment to read the doctor's opinion three times a day, every single day. And I did that for almost nine months, three times a day, the morning, lunch, before I went to bed. And the words, the incredibly powerful words in this chapter that are written by Dr. Silkworth finally broke through this denial biochemical denial. I believe that my addictive foods had, had twisted my thinking so much, had twisted my thinking so much that I could not see the truth. I could not differentiate the truth from the false. To me, what I thought I was doing the right thing, but this chapter broke through my denial. I am convinced that I have a disease. I am convinced today that I am powerless over this phenomenon of craving that develops in my body. I'm allergic to penicillin. I don't safely use penicillin. I don't go in and say, well, I'll have one shot of penicillin today um, and I'll just call my sponsor and clean it up tomorrow. Or I'll just make some extra phone calls. Or I'll just inventory this flip on penicillin. That would be crazy. That would be insane. And it's the same thinking when I think, oh, I'll just have, well, let me backtrack and say why it's insane is that I'm powerless over what that penicillin may do in my body. It could kill me. And so I don't do those, those thoughts around other things that I'm allergic to. And with my addictive food, it's the same way. When I eat my addictive food, you know, sure, I can call my sponsor. I can clean it up. I can tell us. Sure, I can make some extra phone calls. But I don't know what's going to happen in my body. And the last time I picked up my addictive foods, over 23 years ago, almost 24 years ago, I did have that fatal, near-fatal reaction. And I don't want to try it ever again. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done, you know, you know, testing this out. But it says on Roman numeral 31, what is the solution? It's, well, actually, at the bottom of 30. Um, there, this immediately precipitates us into a seed drink evening cauldron of debate because right the sentence before it says the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence and for me it's entire abstinence from my addictive foods but it says the general opinion seems to be that these chronic alcoholics are doomed what is the solution and then in the next paragraph on, on Roman numeral 31 it says this man accepted the plan outlined in this book and the plan outlined in this book is a very clear instruction on how to do and take the 12 steps which will enable us to have a spiritual experience which will solve our problem. I have not eaten compulsively for over 23 years, and that is not me. That is a power greater than myself that I have found through each day working and applying these principles to my life as if my life depended upon it because it does. It says here that this talking about this one man, this man, deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in the deserted barn, determined 
to die. That was me. Following his physical rehabilitation, which for me was my treatment, getting off of my addictive food, he talked, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort, unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower. But, and then it goes on to say, but he became, which no one could do. I knew that. I couldn't have the willpower. I'd proven that to myself. But he became sold on the ideas contained in this book. And he has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now, and then he is a fine specimen of manhood could wish to meet. I will tell you, I am 100% committed and dedicated to this program of recovery that's contained in this, in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Why? Because it has saved my life. It has given me absolute freedom in my body, mind, and spirit. And I am absolutely sold on it. And I am grateful beyond words to be able to share my personal experience with you. And I thank you. I pass. Thank you very much, Mary. And now we welcome Esther C. to the line. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Am I coming through okay? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Esther C., and I am a recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Canada. I wanted to speak today a little bit about my journey and how my abstinence has actually evolved in the program of recovery and also how by, how by coming to understand the importance of clean, honest abstinence, I've not only deepened my relationship with my higher power, but I've also been free of the obsession to eat compulsively. Now, I've been a compulsive eater my whole life. Food was on my mind all the time. Either I was obsessing over my next bite or, or I was pining for my binge foods you know, when I was restricting or dieting. Now, I didn't do a lot of the extreme eating that I've heard about on this line, but I surely must have been eating a lot because I managed to work my way up to a top weight of almost 260 pounds. Uh, in April 2007, I, I finally came to the program of recovering a pretty bad state. At that point, I was desperate and willing. So the meeting that I landed up in was a group in Overeaters Anonymous that had a, a specific food plan. And there, your sponsor, you know, they had like a little booklet and with all, you know, with the food plan outline, and your sponsor would tell you what your binge foods are, and, you know, things were pretty black and white, but there were some gray areas too, and that was really at the discretion of, of your sponsors. So not only your sponsor would tell you what your binge foods were, but, and you had to abstain from those, but you often had to abstain from things she was abstaining from. Now, at the time, I, I didn't see how these one-size-fits-all food plans, you know, hindered me in the recovery process because I didn't really understand what the nature of the allergy was. I was not directed to the big book, to the appropriate chapters that speak about the allergy. And even though I was technically abstinent, you know, doing what my sponsor told me, I was still doing a lot of strange things with my food and I was still using food to regulate my mood to get that ah, feeling. But I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that coming up. Anyways, I wasn't concerned about any of this stuff. Because I was losing weight, and I was feeling good, and I was buying new clothes. And you know what? The body will feel much better as it sheds excess weight, and you're not stuffing it with junk. But that wasn't recovery. That's just some of the gifts of a healthier body. Uh, you know what? I was really enjoying this pink cloud stage. It was so 
pink and fluffy, I don't know, like a cloud. But the pink cloud stage, my pink cloud stage actually lasted, believe it or not, for a couple of years. But because I hadn't done the step work properly, I wasn't recovered. And eventually the mental obsession reared its ugly head. I started feeling hungry again, even though I really had enough food on my food plan. Probably, I actually probably needed less food than I was eating because I was still a good, you know, 10, 15 pounds away from what was a, a healthy body weight. Um, I was constantly arm wrestling with my sponsor about changes I wanted to see in my food plan. And to, be, to tell you the truth, although I was technically abstinent and I was obedient, you know, to my sponsor, I was still doing some interesting things with my food. And again, more about that coming up. So eventually this pressure built up. The obsession had its way, um, as it always will, eventually, and I relapsed. At the time, you know, I was too full of pride to call this a relapse. I think I called it a slip because my whole relapse was, you know, just a couple of bags of chips eaten over over a few days, and I thought, come on, I mean, potatoes, salt, and oil are on my food plan, for heaven's sake. This is a slip, as if, like, the food just slipped and plopped itself into my mouth by accident. Um, you know, there can't be anything worse than relapse except being unwilling to admit you're in relapse. And, and that's where I was. And I sometimes go to meetings and I, I've heard, you know, people share, I've been absent for seven years except for once for, you know, 20 minutes or things like that. Again, I, if you're not even willing to admit you're in relapse, you're in a bad place. Anyways, at that point, I ran, not walked, to find myself a sponsor who would take me through the big book because I had been coming to meetings such as this one, and I understood that I better not only put the food down but do the steps ASAP, that I needed to do the 12 steps as they are outlined in the first 164 pages of the big book and to finally recover. But little did I know that I was going to learn a lot more about what it means to be abstinent. So as we just heard, in the doctor's opinion, on page XXVIII, the first par- uh, the top paragraph, um, there it is written, um, here we are, the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. So in other words, I experience an unusual reaction to certain foods when I ingest them, and I can't stop. So for someone else, her manifestation of her allergy to strawberries is she gets a rash. And for another friend, her manifestation of her allergy of, to nuts is, I don't know, closed airways. But for me, I have certain foods that I'm allergic to, and the manifestation of an allergy is something called the phenomena of craving, which means that I want to have more of the same, and I can't put the food down. And that was fine. When I learned that, I said, okay, I'll buy that. I know there are certain foods that, that create that phenomenon in me. It's certainly true for me. But, but which foods should I be abstaining from? So I was directed back to the chapter, same page. At the bottom of the page, it says, um, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. Now, that was new information for me and very important because it teaches me that I didn't eat compulsively because I liked food or because I was underfed or overfed as a child or my parents did or didn't tell me they loved me or anything like that. It's teaching me that I eat certain foods because of the effect that it has on me. We just heard this earlier. I, I feel good. I feel better when I eat these foods. So which foods do I need to eliminate from my food plan? Those foods that have that effect on me. And when I examine all those foods, I start to see a pattern of food ingredients in all those foods, and these are the food groups that I need to eliminate from my food plan. So the first thing I was taught to do was to draw a box, and in that box 
or it could be a page, let's say, to list all the foods and food ingredients that I don't eat that have that effect on me. So uh, my sponsor suggested four questions I could ask myself which would help me clarify which foods to include on this list, in this box of foods that I don't eat. So here are the four questions for those of you who like four questions. The first one is, which foods did I run to first for comfort? Again, I scribbled down definitely the foods that I could think of right away. Number two, which foods have I tried to control? I'll tell you, I never had to control my cucumbers. All right, question number three. Is this food a substitute for another food that I really want? So am I making like abstinent cake or... Uh, organic, you know, is this like organic, you know, oven-baked potato chips? Are, are these foods that are really just substitutes for foods that I really want to eat? And the last question, question number four, is which foods do I constantly negotiate over, whether to others or to myself? So those four questions help me to identify some of my binge foods and, again, to put put them on a list. Then I was taught to create a nutritious food plan with any foods I want, as long as they're not the ones on this list. So I've got a tangible list of my binge foods, and there is no room for forgetting or not being sure because it's all there on paper. I also learned to create a food plan. So since we're eating to nourish our bodies and not eating to regulate our moods, this is really important, creating a food plan. Now, I can't eat when I get hungry because to me, every emotion looks like hunger. I mean, how else did I get to 260 pounds if not by eating only when I was hungry, right? So that's why I have to have a food plan. And the word plan implies that before I eat, I've decided what I'm going to be eating because I can't just, you know, walk to the fridge at lunchtime and go, hmm, let's see what I should have. That is a recipe for disaster. And a food plan should be written, I believe so, at least for for the, you know, for the first uh, initial period because it's harder to forget or to break a written commitment than a verbal commitment, right? I mean, if it's on paper, you know what you're going to eat. You're not going to forget. You're not going to make mistakes. Now, I want to go back to what I was talking earlier about some of these one-size-fits-all food plans. They don't work for me. And as I mentioned, I was doing strange things with my food, so I'll, I'll tell you a few of them for illustration. Um, when I first came to program, I I don't know, I, I, I used to like rotisserie chicken, right? So the food, the food group that I was with at the time, I... Uh, you know, they would say, I would either have this much chicken or a quarter of a chicken. Um, so I said to my sponsor, can I have rotisserie chicken? She says, does it have any of these ingredients? And I said, no. She said, no problem. So I would go and buy this rotisserie chicken, and it said I could have a quarter of it. So I'd cut it up into four even pieces, but I would choose the pieces like that had the, the most skin and that was the crunchiest and the chewiest, you know. And and at the end of the day, um you know, like I'd have all the other pieces I didn't like so much, and I would feed that to my family. And the next day I'd go back out and buy another rotisserie chicken and, again, cut it into four and eat, eat the parts that I liked the best. And, of course, they were the parts that had the, like, the most skin. And my sponsor would say to me, are you absent? Of course I'm absent. I had, I had a quarter, you know, whatever, a quarter chicken. Um, I, I was, at that time I used to eat sweeteners. Now I don't. But the time I used to, and I, I said to her, can I have this with sweeteners and that with sweeteners? She said, Sure. It's permitted, you know, she would like look at her little uh, pamphlet there and say, no problem. And I would go out and I bought myself a box of, you know, artificial sweetener. And I was eating it on everything. I was eating it on chicken and I was eating it on salad and I was eating it in my yogurt and I was eating it in my oatmeal. Like I was just eating all the time. And I didn't realize at the time that that was also triggering me. But because it was permitted, so I said, well, listen, I, you know, if, if, it, if it's allowed, it's allowed. And at the end of the day, my sponsor would say, 
uh, are you, have you been absent today? Yeah, of course I've been absent. I, I, I ate everything I told her I was going to eat. Um, the other thing I would do is eat a lot of uh, lettuce or you know um, cabbage, which would, which are vegetables, which sort of bloated me up at every meal. I I would eat uh, you know tiny little uh, like soy nuts. You know me- everything would be measured, and I'd eat them and take lots of sips of water be- you know between each bite. And I figured like you know if I'd have like lots of lettuce and cabbage and these soy nuts, I could stretch out a lunch for 45 minutes. You know. And if I had the, you know, the daily newspaper with me, it would be like bliss, 45 minutes of reading and eating. But, you know, and then my sponsor would say, were you absent? Yeah, I was absent. But my friends, there's no sponsor who could know which foods or eating behaviors create the sensation in you. I, I needed to be sensitive to which foods give me that ah feeling. You know, I, I needed to um, be alert to, to the types of foods that are creating that sensation in me. I mean... Uh, a brand new member may not notice some of these subtleties at the beginning because they're just coming off like junk food, and I didn't either. But slowly I was sensitized to certain sensations that I felt when I was eating. Now, by the time I finished the steps and was recovered, and of course this was important because we wanted to finally put down that mental obsession, I had a relationship, a, a very new relationship, but still a relationship with my higher power. So if I see, as time goes on, and this has definitely happened to me, that there are new foods that call to me or new foods that turn me on, then it's time to put them on my list and take them off my food plan. Now, I don't know if it's, if it's only because I only noticed it years after recovery or because my taste buds have become more sensitive once I wasn't eating all that junk, but over the years there have been some foods that I've removed from my food plan. So I'll give you a couple examples. I remember my brother-in-law came home from Costco once and he found these crackers. And he said, Esther, I found these crackers and I know it's only got food on it that you eat. So I looked at it and I called my sponsor. And, and this is my sponsor who, who took me to the step, you know. And I told the ingredients. She says, well, it's all stuff that you eat. You could eat it. So I measured a portion. I had it for breakfast. Great. I measured a portion. Had it for my lunch starch. I measured a portion. Had it for supper starch. And I basically did this for a few days. And finally I called and I said, I don't think these could be on my food plan because it's not normal, you know, that I'm eating. I mean, there's no reason for me to eat them three times a day at every meal for every starch selection. So I knew that I couldn't have those anymore. I couldn't tell you what it was about them that that was triggering me. Maybe it was because they were very crunchy. I don't know. But I know I can't have them. I could have a baked potato with a little bit of fat on it. But if I take that same potato and cut it up into little pieces and put it in the oven for like an hour and everything gets crunchy, then, then already that potato becomes a little too interesting and mmm for me. And I don't have and I don't have it. I can't I can't put that on my you know, that can't be a food on my food plan. Uh foods that are very high in fat, even if they're otherwise nutritious and even if they've been measured out, those things could trigger me. Um many of them have come off my food plans food plan. Um some foods that are very high in sodium or salt, uh, again, they could be otherwise nutritious. They could be foods that everybody else eats, but uh, somehow they just talk to me, so I had to take some of those off. Uh, and some of the extremely sweet fruits also have come up uh, my food plan because, again, I'm not saying, suggesting anyone run home and, and take these things off their food plans, but because I noticed that when I ate these foods, somehow I'd have a longing at the end of the meal, this feeling like, you know, was that... Is that really how big a portion of that food should be? Maybe, you know, once I start to have thoughts in my mind, then I already knew it was time to address it. And the first thing I do, of course, is talk to my sponsor about it. So, you know, I was being completely open about, you know, what was going on with my food. I believe, though, that as you become more spiritually sensitive, 
you'll sense which foods call to you. So this is really where the one-size-fits-all food plans could backfire because if I'm already feeling deprived, being on a food plan that requires me to eliminate nutritious foods that don't trigger me, I, I might have been reluctant, which I was, to tell my sponsor when I sense new foods that do trigger me. You know, if I'm going to tell these crackers are calling to me, she's going to tell me that I can't have them and there's already so many foods, you know, that she doesn't let me have. Um, the other thing I remember was that there was a lot of shopping around for sponsors based on their food plans. We were kind of all hoping and praying that our sponsor would be reasonable and moderate and wouldn't make us eat, you know, a severe food plan or anything like that. I, I also, I only had this insight a few weeks ago. I, one thing I thought was interesting is that really we should be united on the problem um, of compulsive overeating and the solution of, of the 12 steps. But in fact, when I would go to these meetings, we were we all had the same food plan, but when it came to the steps, it was like uh, it was like helter-skelter. Some people did the steps, some people didn't, some people did them in the big book, some people did them using other types of literature. So, you know, now that I, I think about that, I realize we're meant to be united on the program of recovery, not necessarily on our food. Anyways, I, I, I heard people say in program, when they've had to give up new foods, that everything they gave up had claw marks on it. I, I guess because, you know, they didn't want to give it up, but once I recovered, I didn't see it like that anymore because growing spiritually for me includes having a clean and honest abstinence and making any changes to keep it clean. If any food creates in me like a longing of some sort for more food or more of that food, then it's, that's when it's time for me to take a second look. And the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of volume. Obviously, obviously, portion sizes need to be appropriate for my age, my height, my activity level, etc. Now, the OA statement on absence, I believe, is refraining from compulsive eating or compulsive eating behaviors while maintaining or moving towards a healthy body weight. So that brings us to the issue of volume. Now, at the time when I, you know, found a sponsor to take me through the steps, I still had a little bit of weight to lose. And, of course, I mentioned to you that I was arguing with her about the issue of volume. I, I would say to her, if I eat larger portions of food that are not my binge foods, then that shouldn't trigger the phenomenon of craving because I'm not actually ingesting any of my binge foods. I asked her, how does eating too much food or uh, more than I need trigger the allergy, trigger the phenomenon of craving? So then she taught me about eating behaviors, that certain ways of eating my food also give me that sense of ease and comfort, that feeling of, ah, that feels good, life's okay, I'll be fine, I have a lot. I get that feeling when I'm stuffed, when I'm over full, or, or even if I had more than just enough. So volume is a problem for me. So why should that feeling of, ah, be a problem? Why is it so, what's so terrible of, of, of overeating my healthy, abstinent foods at the meal? So I, I heard this said once on the line, and I, and I don't know, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's just great. You know, if I am overweight, then I am overeating. And if I'm overeating, which means I'm eating more than my food than my body needs, then food is doing something for me besides merely nourishing my body. Again, if I'm eating more than my body needs, then that ex extra food, that feeling of fullness, that stretch in my stomach, however you feel it or sense it, that's giving me my sense of ease and comfort. Now, I'm not going to be able to throw myself wholly into the care of my higher power if I've got some other thing, uh, some other eating behavior that I'm leaning on. And it, 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 I, I'm here to, I'm relying totally on my higher power, but if I'm using food to feel good 
I'm not going to rely on my higher power. And this would apply to all eating behaviors that give me that effect. It could be volume or it could be eating my entire day's worth of, you know, calories and nutrition in many, many small meals. So basically I'm eating all day. For, for me, those types of behaviors could include reading while eating or driving or, or standing. or It could even be eating part of, excuse me, part of my meal while I'm preparing the rest of my meal. I mean, I could find a dozen ways to check out, so to speak, with food, but still be technically abstinent. And you know what I've been learning slowly as I live life as a recovered person and try my, my very best every day to expand my spiritual life? Um, I learned of a deeply spiritual and godly state that I call enough. Enough is a new place for me to be. I've always lived in the state of not enough or more or too much. Those were comfortable places for me to live. When I um, My resentments and fears I examined in step four show me that one of my biggest complaints about life was that I didn't have enough of the things I want. Not enough food, not enough money, not enough respect, not enough honor, validation, just never enough. I almost killed myself trying to get more, more, more out of life. And I was doing the same thing with food. I was afraid that if I wasn't stuffed at the end of the meal, like if I didn't feel that stretch, then I would somehow starve or die. I have met so many people in program who are terrified of putting down the volume or they're technically abstinent, but they'll make food choices that offer them the possibility of getting full. Um, one woman I know wanted to eat soup at every meal. Again, she wanted to be abstinent, but she just needed all that liquid to get that full sensation. You know, she wanted to be stuffed. Or another, a few other people I've spoken to, you know, they, they put so much water in their oatmeal and cook it forever, and then she would eat it with the tiniest spoon so that it would just last and last and last. I often get calls you know, for people who say that they're still overweight and they don't know what they, do, what, should, what they should do to their food plans. So I say, you know, assuming you've ruled out any medical issues, why don't you just reduce your portions? You know, that could happen, especially as people age. So this is usually met with strong reactions. They get all worried, I'm going to be so hungry. And I say, look, if you're overweight, you're obviously not hungry, right? I mean, on television, we, we see ads to, to help people who are hungry, and they don't look like us. But volume for me triggers that phenomenon of craving. You know, like the gambler or the debtor or other addicts who aren't actually addicted to a substance, but rather to a behavior, eating too much, getting too full, that sets me off. So it's a behavior for me that's got to go. And not only do I get to enjoy a healthy body, but I'm not being triggered by the food. I'm not for the, longing for that way, the longing for that way of eating is gone, and I get to maintain that neutral attitude toward food that's, maintain, that's mentioned in, on page 85 of the big book. This is not taking the tiger out of the cage three times a day business that I used to hear in, in the meetings. This is we are neither cocky nor are we afraid. And a clean and honest abstinence and the daily spiritual practices allow me to be the best possible vessel, the best Esther I can be so that my higher power can fill me with his power, which I so desperately need to be recovered on a daily basis. It allows me the possibility to contain his light and then reflect his light to everyone that I meet. And this is recovery, and I bless you all with this as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Esther. And now we move to our third and final panelist, Katie G. Katie, star one to unmute. 
Hi, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning. Okay. Sorry about that. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie G. from Boston, Mass. Recovered um, compulsive overeater and um, totally scared. Thank you, God, for the privilege of uh, waking up on a Sunday morning, right? And um, I didn't say an explicative the minute my my eyes opened, and I didn't wonder what did I eat last night? What didn't I eat? What did I do? What was my behavior? Am I fat? Am I thin? It's Sunday. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to work out? Thank you, God. Like, I can tell you what I ate yesterday, um, and uh, I can tell you who I hurt or who I didn't hurt, and I can tell you my connection with God in this program. And just want to take a minute to thank everybody who's walked before me who teaches me a day at a time because I would not be alive um, without this program. Um, through a, a series of failures in my life, I have come to see that I need a very black and white program. Um, somebody earlier talked about having slips. Um, I never had slips. Um, a slip means having um, it's unintentional. Um, and I never, I never went out and thought, "Oops, I didn't mean to do that." I, when I picked up food. Um, yeah, it's a minor or careless mistake. If I make a minor or careless mistake, like if you think about it like an alcoholic, if an alcoholic has a nip of alcohol and they activate that phenomenon of craving, they're out of here, right? And that's what I had to come to. And it's not because I'm a good person or because whatever, but I can never use my alcoholic foods and my alcoholic behaviors safely. Again, I am a chronic compulsive overeater, um, which in the book it talks about being marked by a long duration, a chronic compulsive overeater. I am never going to get better. And in fact, over any period of control, um, over any period, I'm going to get worse. In my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds. And yes, that is a symptom, right? I totally get that. But it is a symptom of a lot of trying over, over you know, years and years to prove vain attempts, what a book calls vain attempts to prove that I could eat like other people. On page 30, it says the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his eating is the great obsession of every abnormal eater. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I used to think if I can chew like her, then I'll be normal. If I can eat just a little and then walk away, then I'll be normal. But the truth is, for me, ever since I've been a little girl, I would have these birthday parties, right, and there's a puke can right next to me. Why? Because when I put certain foods into my body, it sets up an uncontrollable craving for more. And as my, my peers have, have so clearly articulated, what does that mean? Well, when I was a little girl, that meant I put that food into my body and I could not stop eating. When I was an older woman um, in, in recovery, um, I, would, uh, I remember my first relapse in recovery. I picked up apples and I was like, you know what, I just deserve this. I can't show up for Thanksgiving. I need to eat this, right? That was the lie. Like I've had a period of controlled eating and I'm going to be okay now. So I'm just going to have a little bit of apples. And apples are okay, right, because they're a diet food. What I didn't understand is that actually, I mean, for um, singleness of purpose, I always identify as a recovered compulsive eater. But for me, I am addicted to food. Other people may not binge out on carrots and cabbage and apples, but I'll tell you what. 
if there's no other food around and I'm not spiritually fit, the carrots and the apples and I are going to do battle. And guess who's going to win? Not me. Not me. So in relapse, in this room, in these rooms, I started eating on apples. And the next thing I knew, I was in the grocery store eating in the bathroom, eating candy, and then trying to steal that food. Um, you know, and for me, every period of controlled eating, I would have these diets, was inevitably followed by still less control, which led to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And what did that mean? Because, you know, um, people have talked a lot about that sense of ease and comfort, that sense of, I'm going to be okay, right? Well, ever since I was a little girl, I thought food was my happy thought. Binging was my happy thought. But I'm going to share something else. The other things that were my happy thought were, were being thin, being anorexic. I used to pray that if I got cancer, at least I would be thin. Um, I would pray for a tapeworm. So it's not just for me this act of food, of compulsive overeating. But if I don't maintain sanity around a normal body size, surrender to my sponsor, where I'm going to be is either 110 pounds with peach fuzz, and don't forget, like when I was anorexic, you know, the book says frothy emotional peel seldom suffices. And what does that mean? I became anorexic, um, you know, after I was, you know, controlling the food and binging and I was really overweight. And then I just slowly and subtly started to cut out food. And before I knew it, I woke up and I had peach fuzz all over my body. But the truth is with anorexia, just like with compulsive overeating, binge eating, I was getting high on this phenomenon of craving, this emptiness, this like I was chewing $400 worth of gum a month again, you know, and that was my food. And I was, I was calculating a certain amount of calories. And my brother looked at me and he said, Katie, you look like you're going to die. That's what frothy emotional appeal is. And I was like, that's true. You know, women at the gym are telling me I'm gorgeous and they're asking me how I do it. So whether I am, for me today, my recovery, my abstinence is about not being underweight and not being overweight. Because either one is a sign that I am ab having and I'm engaging in inappropriate behaviors with food. Um, you know, today my abstinence is very black and white. There's not gray, like in Boston people talk about, you're either abstinent or you're not. You're either pregnant or you're not. And I had to get very clear with what abstinence is. Like, you know, sometimes I think we do each other a disservice. Why? Because I think I became, so I came into a food fellowship when I came into the room. And it was like, yeah, get to a certain number of days and you're going to be abstinent and then you're going to be thin and everything's going to be great. And that was one of the first lies I told myself as a little girl is if I'm thin, I will be okay. So I got thin and I was like, where's my stuff? And then I started engaging because thin wasn't working. I was weighing and measuring my food. I was black and white, no flour, no sugar. But it wasn't curing me because I wasn't working with stuff. So I started abusing in what I call non-food food items. Non-food food items include, for me, putting salt on my apples, putting so much cinnamon all over my food, and then freezing the food, engaging in concoctions, chewing $400 worth of gum a month, drinking a pot of coffee before I have to get up, drinking diet soda to the tune of, you know, 
two-liter bottles. I don't need to pour it in a glass. And what am I doing? I'm putting that hand-to-mouth, right? This is what I mean about I'm addicted to these food and non-food food items because I'm worshiping and I am putting them in the place of God, right? So I was in this food fellowship putting all this food in the place of God but I didn't want to tell my sponsor. Why? Because my ego. Because don't make me stop talking at meetings. Okay, so I have a life and death illness. And not talking at meetings, like, I don't even understand that today. Thank you, God. Like, that was my ego. And when I finally surrendered after taking Ipecac and throwing up in downtown Northampton on a sunny day after binging, taking bottles and box, bottles of laxatives and having to hospitalize myself, when I finally got honest and said, I am so powerless, like, it doesn't matter who I can, who, who, what kind of message am I carrying if I'm abusing laxatives and thinness and Ipecac and anything like that will help me get thin and I'm not being honest because if that food is doing for me, what God is supposed to be doing for me, it's going to do that thing to me that just flour and sugar do, right? So gum, for me, has to be off the radar. Why? Because when I was in program, I was stopping at every gas station. Oh, my God, I'm abstinent, but I got, I got to go. I got to get the gum. Exercise. Oh, my God, I got to get up at, at 4.30 in the morning. I'm abstinent now. I'm thin now. I got to get my stuff. I got to get my man. I have to commit the number of times I get on the scale. Because you know what, guys? I used to get on the scale 100 times a day. Why? Because I believe the lie that if I'm thinner, I'm okay. Where's God in all that? Um, So I don't eat. I I first came into the rooms and I was given this program like I don't eat flour, I don't eat sugar, and I weigh and measure my food. So, yeah, if I don't weigh my food, (laughs) I'm going to continue looking for that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by seeing others taking that first bite, right? Um, I'm Like I said, I'm very black and white. I don't do flour. I don't do sugar. And, you know, for me, the doctor's opinion talks about how we cannot use alcohol in any form at all. And for me, that is very true. I don't do ingredients. And if you do, that's great. But when I did abstinence that was like, okay, it's the sixth ingredient, I'm okay. If I was a heroin addict, I wouldn't take in heroin of any kind. Because for me and where I have been, 228 pounds and 110 pounds, it will bring me down. And how do I know that? Because I, I get that feeling, right? Oh, my God, I'm so excited. This is my happy feeling. I'm gonna, it's sexy. Why do I want to make food sexy? Normal people don't look for food to be sexy, right? They eat a dessert. They walk away. Um, so for me, that I have this allergy, and the only relief we have to, stay, to have is entire abstinence, and that is true for me. I have had to have entire abstinence because otherwise I am going to be looking uh, I can't, um, back to that ego thing, like people asking, oh, am I abstinent, am I not abstinent, or sponsors saying, you are abstinent, I'm taking you off the abstinence ring, or, or whatever. Hey, guys, 
this isn't about our ego, right? Like if I'm using food, what am I doing? I am putting food or laxatives or Ipecac or exercise or sugar or flour or coffee or tea or whatever it is in front of between me and God, right? So I'm doing my four-step inventory and I'm popping, popping whatever. It's, it's between me and God. So how can I get an entire psychic change, which I have to have according to XXIX, unless this person can have an entire psychic change, there is little hope of his recovery. I have to do the steps, right? I have to pair it. Otherwise, I'm just doing a diet. Like that's between me and God. Um, I'm grateful that I came in to the pro to a program that started me off. No flour, no sugar, because without that, I wouldn't have had any guidance. Um, because I was engaged in this perfect storm, right? It talks about in the doctor's opinion, we are restless, irritable, and discontent. Why? Because my thirst for food is actually a thirst for for unity and for connection. And for God, ever since I was a little girl, it didn't feel okay to be in my skin. So food wasn't my problem. It became my problem, but it was the only solution I ever applied, right? And so when I got abstinent, when I got thin, I felt like I did not fit in, right? So I'm restless, I'm irritable, and I'm discontent. I'm walking around like I have no skin on and I'm playing bumper cars. So eventually I'm going to get that little thing in my mind, right, because it's an allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. It's okay, Katie, have a little, 228 pounds, 110 pounds. I'm going to put a little bit in, and then I'm going to have an abnormal reaction, right, that I'm not going to stop until I'm done. You know, the binges would start off with one thing and, and end me up somewhere else. And I have, to, I have to put this food down because alcohol, food, and my non-food food items are my drug of no choice, right? So I have to get very clean with the food, no flour, no sugar. And I really relate with the previous speaker. You guys, like recently, for some reason, there's this fruit that started doing for me. It was like, oh, my God, this fruit, it's really sexy. And I had to talk to my sponsor about it. You know, and I hear people come in and they're like, oh, well, I don't want my life to be dull and boring. Tell you what, life is so not dull and boring. I weigh and measure my food. I commit it. And it doesn't change because I don't want to waste another moment of my life using food. If the best thing that's going to happen to me is food in a day, how sad. Like, I love XXI, XXXI, where he says, they talk about this physician who decided his situation hopeless and he hid in a deserted barn to die, determined to die. That's where the food brought me. I started off like, no flour, no sugar, okay, I'm fine, you know, I get it, you know, I get it, I'm doing it, guys. And I got to a point in this program where I, I couldn't function. You know, and I was like, forget about it. I don't want to do it anymore. I am a chronic addict. I am never going to become a pickle. And you know what? That's not, or a cucumber, whatever the thing is. It's not my goal. 
like, I have a very full life today. You know, I'm going back to grad school. Um, I don't think that the best thing that's going to happen to me is food. And I've had an entire psychic change, you know, and I don't have that allergy. I don't, I still have the allergy of the body, but it's not, I don't activate it today. I've had an entire psychic change, which you know what my happy thought is today? It's not how thin can I get? It's not how can I make this food into something that's sexy, right? It's how can I help others and be of maximum service to God? So um, for me, again, I pair a very black and white food plan with the steps. um, And I have had an entire psychic change. And you know what? I came in here to stop. The doctor talks about, you know, did you got, you know, although perhaps he came into scoff, may he remain to pray. And what is scoffing? An expression of contempt. Tell you what, I came in here and I was like, listen, you compulsive overeaters. I am a lot sicker. I'm a lot better, right? Like, I'm just not a compulsive overeater. I am an anorexic. I am a depressive. I am a this. I am a that. You know, and when I took the cotton out of my ears, and put it in my mouth and got clean abstinence, right? I saw, like, it doesn't matter today, right? Like, all I know is that I'm addicted to, um, I'm addicted to certain foods. And, you know, this that food list, it, it's kind of getting larger. And that's okay for me today, right? Because, like, I want life more than I want, more than I want the food, um, you know? And, and I did come in with a lot of contempt. And, I will share this. The only thing I knew when I was in relapse and I was hospitalized and I was taking laxatives and Ipecac, which, by the way, the reason I knew to do Ipecac was because my sponsee, she shared on her fourth step that she used Ipecac, so I'm really healthy. Um, when I – I totally lost what I was going to say. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's okay. Um All I know today is that I have a life that is amazing. You know, I don't eat flour. I don't eat sugar. I keep a a clean food plan. And then I have the privilege of working the steps. I have an allergy to the body. I'm not trying to be normal. I tell people I have food allergies. It's really not a big deal. And I have an obsession of the mind. And I have to be careful of that even today, which is why I live in 10, 11, and 12. Because I have to be free of resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear. And I know that that is not the allergy of the body, but I need to say that because the resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear, if I allow it to percolate and I don't do a quick 10, which is the walking around step or a quick or a formal 11 with it, eating is going to seem like a step up from my thinking. Right, so they're very, very integrated with one another, and um, I am so grateful. Um, I'm grateful to have a sponsor. I'm grateful to have sponsees. I'm grateful to um, to know that my solution cannot be found in food or my body weight or being thin, um, and to know that food is my drug of, of no choice, and um, and to, that I that I know how to stay out of the phenomenon of craving. And, you know, the first word of the doctor's opinion is we. You know, we're in this together. Whether you can have, it, it doesn't matter. Like, if you can have whatever, something that I've mentioned today, that's fine. 
Like, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But if you can't have it, like, if it's setting that up, that craving, put it down, guys. Because God just gave us one life, right? Like, let's not waste another minute thinking that food or non-food food items or something outside of ourselves is going to fix it. Um, so anyway, it's been a privilege to, um, to speak today. I hope I've shared something that someone has, that has been helpful to someone and, uh, please call me anytime. God bless. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you to all three panelists this morning, Mary F., Esther C., Katie G., we thank you. All contact information will be given at the conclusion of this meeting. We now open the floor for some question-answer period related to the doctor's opinion and what was shared by our panelists this morning. If you have a question, please press star 1 to unmute. Hi, this is Lori from New Jersey. I have a question. Go ahead, Lori. Good morning. Hi. My question is for uh, Esther. She gave... um, the four questions, why not to eat, and I was writing them down, and I missed number four. If she could just repeat number four. Sure. Hi, Lori. Hi. I'll just repeat all of them. Okay. Um, number one is, which foods did I run to first for comfort? Number two is, which foods have I tried to control? N- number three is, is this food a substitute for another food that I really want? And number four which foods do I constantly negotiate over, both to myself and to others, or to others? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Who's next? This is Courtney from Virginia. Hi, Courtney. Go ahead. Um, I just, I know everything that's being told and I don't know where to begin to start. Um, you know, I mean, every speaker in every meeting that I've listened to so far in the last month or two is, you know, is me. And I'm in the food. And I don't know where to begin to, to stop it. Thanks. This Welcome, is Katie G. May I share? Yes, Katie G. Go ahead. Well, I think that's a great question, um, and I think if you called all of us, we would all probably give you some variations on a theme. Um, kind of that didn't matter for me. I just had to get abstinent, right? Because as as so many of um, the other recovered women have articulated so well, um, I need to get clean. I can't use food for me and do the steps. So um, that has involved at times for me, I had a food sponsor and a step sponsor. Sometimes I had, you know, one person helping me with both. Um, For me, it was a big surrender and just getting a a sponsor, you know, just kind of giving it to God and getting on the phone and saying, okay, or your higher power or, you know, the environment, something bigger than you and saying, okay, I need a sponsor, and just kind of starting there. Um, there are many different places to start. For me, what made the most sense is with getting very clean with the food and then pairing that with starting the steps, right? Because I, 
um, if I don't start the step work, I will go back to the food. But if I'm not clean with the food, I, for me, I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice because I'm worshiping something that isn't God, and I'm blocking that channel. So does that help? Yes, thanks very much. No problem. I'd like to share on that, Julia. This is Mary. Go ahead, Mary. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you, Courtney. That is a really good question and certainly one that I can identify with in my own experience. Um, I think that, um, that you know, every, everything that Katie just said is so important and valuable. And one of the things that I had trouble with was actually getting clean, getting abstinent, getting the addictive food, separating from my binge food, separating from my foods. It did the, the craving was so strong, the obsession was so powerful. And there are different ways that you can do that, that one, one can do that. You know, if one can come on, come on some meetings and do a lot of meetings, you know, some, there's meetings we could be on all the time. There's um, certainly the literature. Some people can read the literature and, and become, you know, just by reading the literature and um, going to meetings and talking on the phone, can working with a sponsor, can get abstinent. And then there are other people who need more. One of the things that I always believe is if you're having trouble, surrender to more structure and support. If you're having trouble, surrender to more structure and support. And that looks very different as the disease progresses and as we need more support. You know, um, in in the days when AA began, it was very, very, very common. What what did they do? They hung out in each other's homes. They went to places. They spent months in different towns to get the support, to get what they needed. Because detoxing from addictive substances, whether they are, you know, whether it's heroin, whether it's alcohol, whether it's addictive foods, can be very, very difficult for some of us. And I've heard it shared on this very meeting that there are some some people who have gone and stayed with people for a period of time. My husband and I, we frequently have people in our homes who come to dry out, who come to detox, who come to just be in an abstinent environment. We go to meetings with them. We hang out with them. We eat together. We um, we. You know, and so there are people like that who are willing to open their homes and to willing. Sometimes I say, uh, there was another woman that I know who actually was a gentleman who was really having problems and he committed one meal a day he was going to eat with, uh, with another couple who was, with not, it was not my partner and I, but it was, a, it was, um, he was going to eat one meal a day in an abstinent environment with abstinent people. And so, you know, some of us need a lot more support in order to get clean. I needed to go, I needed to be locked up. I needed, that's what it took me to be separated from my binge foods, the craving and the obsession was so terribly strong. So, you know, and the big book is very clear about that, that treatment is often necessary. And so I think that, you know, and, and again, it's like if this doesn't work, do the next one. It's kind of like when we think about medication um, for, a, um, say, an infection or something. You know, if this antibiotic doesn't work, you know, you may need to have 
a different antibiotic and you made it in different dosages and this is a disease and what's going to work for one person may not necessarily work for another as far i mean i'm not this is not talking about the 12 steps those of us who are coming this you know the 12 steps revolutionizes our lives changes our has gives us that psychic change but as far as detoxing go, goes um getting surrendering and often it's not what we wanted to do what, what what I wanted to do. Did I want to go away for four and a half months in order to get clean and stable? No. Did I want to eat my meals all the time? Did I want to read the doctor's opinion three times a day every day? No. I mean, it wasn't my priority. It wasn't like a happy, oh, hey, I get to do this every day. But it was what I needed to do for the lengths to which my disease had progressed. Those were the lengths that I needed to go to. And so I think about in the big book, you know, where it says we need to be willing to go to any lengths. You know, what extremes am I really willing to go to? And those are different for each one of us, I believe, but, you know, for what I need to do. I hope that was helpful, Courtney. Really good question. Yes, thank you, Courtney, for that question. Leah, may I just add one quick thing? Go right ahead. Hi, sorry. This is Katie G again. I just want to echo what Mary said. And um, I, too, had to be hospitalized. And just around the structure, like I was talking to a buddy of mine, and she's been having a really hard time putting down the food. And, um, you know, she I suggested about getting abstinent and tearing it um, with this depth. And also, like, using this fellowship. I know that none of us are God, right? But, like, there are so many of us on the line. And um, I, you know, I would commit to people. I would say, okay, I'm going to have an abstinent breakfast, and I would call and commit and say, okay, I'm done, and whatever is going to get me from breakfast to lunch to dinner, and a lot of it was about growing up for me, right, like not looking for that, like I was a relief-seeking missile, and in order to get to that point where I actually get freedom and not just relief, I have to practice the willingness to bear discomfort. It was harder for me to put down aspartame than anything else. I got violently ill. I was throwing up it was worse than sugar and flour for me. So there are some chemical things that happen, but you know what? You only have to go through it once. And I know that the fellowship is not God, but the fact is we're here for each other, right? We're here for each other. And you can call me. You can call many people I know who will support you. There are meetings you can go to every day and, and putting in that structure. Um, just like with little kids, it really, really works. I still do a lot of structure, and it really, really works. Thank you so much. I will use you all. <laughs> Thanks again, Courtney. Good luck to you. Who's next with a question? Star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Jackie in West Virginia. Hi, Jackie. How are you doing? Um, you know, I've been thinking that my food has been good over the last couple of weeks until I heard one of you say that your food had to be sexy. And the relief that I get when I feel that I've eaten something really good. And... You know, listening to you guys, it's made me see that I'm still, even though it's it's cleaner, I still am using food for that relief. And 
someone said how how sad it is if the only thing you have is food, and it seems that that's where my life is right now. And um, I live in an environment where I really have not been able to find anything to do with myself. Uh, I even started going to people that I know that might be able to use the information in the program and just talking about what I'm doing and I don't know, I still feel really empty and I've been praying and it just, I'm not eating like I I was before and I'm definitely not using sugar and flour, but it's, it doesn't feel comfortable. Thank you, Jackie. Would you like some feedback on that, I'm assuming? Pardon me? Would you like, is that your question is directed to any of our panelists? I want to get to the point that my life doesn't feel like it's only food, and that's where I am right now. Even though the food is somewhat abstinent, I'm not eating my trigger foods, but it's that's what I'm living for from meal to meal. It's okay. Thank you for the question. Sounds like you're at the beginning stages of the recovery process. Let's hear from one of our panelists perhaps on on this matter. Anyone like to speak to this, please? This is, this Esther. is Katie G. Oh, go ahead, Esther. Esther, thank you. Thanks. Hi, Jackie. So Actually, what you're describing is 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 exactly what's going to happen when we put down the food. Um, meaning, I know I ate because of the effect food had on me, and it did something for me. And and um, what you're feeling that sense that feeling of emptiness or whatever it is that you try to cover up with the food or push aside with the food. That's that's probably what most of us on the line as compulsive overeaters have as well. We're eating for the effect food has on us. So you're exactly where you need to be, and now it's time to move on to the next thing, which is to do the steps. That's what the doctor's opinion tells us, that, that the cycle of, uh, of, of disease is going to continue. We are eventually going to pick up because being abstinent is, is kind of like holding our breath, and it doesn't. we, we can make it last for a week or a month or, or maybe longer, but eventually that mental obsession is going to kick in and it's going to tell us um, some crazy lie that's going to cause us to pick up. Um, What the steps enable us to do is develop a relationship with a higher power so that we are no longer leaning on food or people or life situations for, for that sense of even comfort to feel good about life. We will be tapping into a new, um, unlimited um, source of of serenity, and that will be in our relationship with our higher power. We're going to find ourselves in a, in a new place called recovered, where we're not going to need the food to turn us on because our life will be good, and we won't need we won't we won't be needing to look at food or anything else for that matter to to make life exciting for us. I I also want to address one thing where you said that it, in w- the place where you're located. It was uh, you were limited in, in how much you could do, but you've got a phone, right? Um, so whatever you can't do in, in the location where you are, see what you could do on the 
on the telephone in terms of reaching out to others or uh, um, for support and things like that. And that's what I wanted to share. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Jackie, for the question. Yes, this thank you, Jackie. May, may I add something? Of course. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, so I just want to say, like, this isn't a moral issue, right? Like, I, I think I was the person that had said that, and um, I've been where you are. I know what it feels like to feel like the only good thing that can happen to you at the end of the day is being thin or a binge and to be that, lo- be that lonely, right? Like, that's the point of the steps. And the hard thing is this isn't Get Comfortable Anonymous. Um, it's Overeaters Anonymous. And we look to the steps to help us have a different reaction to life, right? Like, I spent 25 years looking to food to fix me or looking to a perfect life to fix me. And if I've given anyone the impression that my life is perfect today and therefore I'm happy, talk to my sponsor. Because <laughs> my life isn't perfect. Like, life's going to happen. But we learn a new response, right? We learn that, A, I am a food addict, compulsive overeater, and I cannot manage my own life. B, that no human power, and C, that God can and will if he is thought. So there is so much help, especially on the phone, you know, and um, you sound like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I know that when people used to say that to me when I was um, trying to get Aspen and it was like, what, ready for the nut house? And yeah, I was ready for the hospital and I got hospitalized. And that, But what I was really ready for is to have an entire psychic change and have God be the most important thing in my life. So congratulations for your first step and your level of honesty and uh, it will continue. Thank you. I'd like, uh, Mary, I'd like to share, this is, uh, this is Mary. Yes. Go ahead, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I thank you for the question and for what you, for what you shared. I heard. Um, I think I heard in what you shared that you're. I don't know if you were used the word pretty abstinent or somewhat abstinent, but I was wondering if there still might be. I think you said you weren't eating sugar and flour. I'm sorry if I, I don't remember this correctly, but. I would encourage you, first of all, to look and see if there are still any um, foods that you're eating or quantities or behaviors that are causing you some problems. You know, I've heard it said that when we're having trouble with the food, there's three things to do. The first thing is to check the food. second thing is to check the food. The third thing is to check the food. And once we do that, then we, you know, then, of course, you know, we have, we have to move into working the steps because just putting down the food, oh, my God, I mean, I was absolutely miserable. you think I was miserable when I was in the food. Without having the food to cope with life, it was, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, let me tell you. And, um, you know, there's the good news and the bad news when we put the food down. The good news is we get the, our feelings back. The bad news is we get our feelings back. And um, so... That would be the first thing that I would, um, if I were to be talking with you, I would, I would um, suggest let's make sure we're, you're really, really clean in your abstinence and with your food, with your plan of eating. And then, again, getting the structure of support around having a sponsor, having a daily, uh, I know for me, this is, this is what works for me, is having a, having a daily step. Um, process where I am daily working the steps, daily sharing with that my that with my sponsor, daily doing 
we're looking at steps 10, 11, and 12. I know you're not, you are not there, but, you know, looking at step one, it's hard. I mean, life was miserable for me in the beginning. Life was miserable for me once I got, once I got absent. And, um, and, you know, using this network of support that you have, using, um, taking advantage of all of the people who are walking really with you, with you, um, is, it's, it's, it's power, it's strength, it's a help, um, that can guide you through the 12 steps, um, and, and connect you with a power greater than yourself. So that sense of loss and sense of what is there beyond the food can begin to lessen. You know, the, the big book says, is there a sufficient substitute? You're going to take my alcohol away. Is there a sufficient substitute? Yes, it's called the fellowship. Um, fellowship isn't en- enough for me, but it is a way in which I connect with people where I can experience love. And... Um, so I thank you for sharing, and I, I just wish you, uh, and again, we'll, we'll share our numbers at the end, and I'd love to be a support for you if you need it. Again, thank you, Jackie, for the question. I'm sure it's on a lot of people's minds. Anyone else with a question this morning related to the doctor's opinion or what was shared? Are this Carolyn? Yes. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, uh, go ahead. Did I hear yeah. somebody else as well? Yes, yeah. Yeah, Cheryl. This is Cheryl. Okay, so we'll take Carolyn, and then Cheryl, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have to say I I can't thank all of your speakers enough for what you've shared today. Um, The whole idea of abstinence going beyond the food into the food behaviors, but also the degree of food behaviors I heard. I mean, I've heard about things like not eating when you're standing up or not eating while you're reading because you don't really feel it, Um, not eating in the car. But the idea of of not eating for, for that sense of fullness or needing the volume because you're afraid that you'll be hungry otherwise. Um, you know, I, I have very large quantities of vegetables. I mean, they're committed. They're not too many calories. I'm at a normal weight. But my meals are big. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm realizing now that they're probably too big because afterward I feel, you know, quite full. I mean, not uncomfortably full, but maybe too full. Maybe I need to just be full enough. Um, I do feel like I've made huge progress in terms of food not being the center of my life. But like last night, I went to a progressive dinner, which has been a problem for me in the past on my street. And um, for dinner, I told my sponsor I would commit to her when I got there based on what there was. And if there wasn't anything, I would go home. Well, they had a salad that I could have, and they had this thing with lentils. And, you know, that's, that's fine. That's protein. Well, I, I took some salad. I took some lentils. And I was eating the lentils, and I was really, really enjoying them. At a certain point, I was like, there's something about this. It tastes sweet to me. I'm a sugar addict. And it's, for me, it's not just real sugar. It's all artificial sweeteners. It's even vegetables that are too sweet, like yams. Um, or certainly fruits that are too sweet. Watermelon, I can't do that. Anyway, I, it occurred to me, you know, there were these little black specks in there, like not specks, really, but small, small. And I was like, are those maybe like, you know, chopped up raisins? Because I can't do dried fruit. Or did they add sugar to this? But I didn't attempt to track down the person who made it and say, what exactly is in this? And I went back for seconds, knowing that maybe there's something not right here. Um, I'm newly recovered, having just gone through the steps, you know, with the big book way, with vision. Uh, This is my third time going through the steps, the first time I feel truly recovered. But I look at that behavior last night, and, you know, is that abstinent behavior? I'm not sure it was. So if, if anyone could comment on that. 
Thank you, Carolyn. Katie Esther. Okay, go ahead, Katie. Katie, then um, Esther. Thanks. Um, so I don't think, I mean, one of the things that I think is really important is that you and God and your sponsor make a decision about what is abstinent and what is not, because I think a lot of people might have different responses to you. Um, and that, for me, is how um, I ha- that's why I say I have a very black and white program, because it was really important for me to know what is abstinent and what is not. And I'll also tell you, look, like, I'm recovered, but I'm not cured. I'm recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. But, you know, as um, as other women have shared today, like, there's a refining process. Um, and if through my, you know, uh, continued step 10 during the day and step 11 at night, there's a food or a food behavior that's lighting up for me, I got to go to my sponsor. I got to go to God and I need that accountability. Um, so again, for me, it's all about having an ongoing, consistent and regular dialogue with my sponsor. Like part of my, part of my 10 and 11, I, I look at the food, like, you know, where was I dishonest? For me, did I get on the scale a 12th time, you know, or did I follow through with my commitments? And that might sound excessive, but it's not for me because there are these slippery slopes that I start to engage in and then I'm in full-blown, um, you know, over over addiction. And I, I don't think I have another recovery. So um, that's just my experience. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Katie. Let's uh, hear from Esther on this response. Hi. Hi, Carolyn. I'll I'll address your first comment first, and that was in terms of the volume and being full. Um, If you are at a healthy body weight and you're committing your food and eating the portion that you're eating is not triggering you, then that isn't a problem. But for for me, uh, being full like that, a certain degree of fullness was an issue. And... um, but sometimes uh you need sometimes there are things for example that I only figured out later like I like there's certain foods that somehow uh create that fullness more than other foods certain vegetables but when it would happen and I'd you know feel that feel let's say stuffed then I'd say you know Esther maybe you know when you have that vegetable you need to have a little less or whatever it is um but it isn't a problem unless it's a problem so if you're if you're saying that uh it you don't seem to be triggered and you you're committing your food and and you're at a healthy body weight so I don't know if anything needs to change. Um, and regarding that uh, lentil uh, story, so I those are that's a good story, and that's a, in a way a good thing that happened because that that for me would would teach me that I mean I would certainly share that with my sponsor, with a recovered uh, compulsive overeater, but that would teach me, you know, maybe I ask first and eat second as opposed to eat and then ask what's in the food. Because I could be triggered by something in the food, and I don't know, I, I could, uh, the, you know, that trigger could send me on, uh, you know, uh, to a full-blown binge that I would never come back from, depending on what would be in that food. So, I, what I've learned um, from incidents like that was that uh, unless I could determine what's in there, then it's something that I can't eat, um, because I don't want to get myself into trouble. I don't. You know, it can happen that a person eats something and there's been a mistake made and they sense they taste something on their tongue and suddenly they start to get all these thoughts and they, they've got to do a lot. I, I've had to do a lot of extra, you know, work around that, intense, uh, you know, uh, step work around that just to keep myself, 
you know, in the right place, but that's something that we want to avoid. We don't want to, uh, you know, we want, I know I don't want to get myself into slippery situations. I want to stay away. And the best right. thing to do is to say, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is I'll go places and sometimes the people who who put the food together, I'll say, what what did you put on that? And they they don't remember. And I say, well, you know, if you don't remember, um, then then I'll, you know, I always have my in case of emergency meal that I, you know, have always with me when I go places that in case that they didn't serve what they said they were going to serve or in case they said, oh, I forgot, you know, that you said you couldn't have things like that. I've got my food or I don't eat and I go home and eat. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, <laughs> Carolyn, for the question. Uh, Leah, could I share one example? Um, Please uh, go ahead. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, you, Carolyn, for the question. And boy, do I identify with you. I'm only going to speak to the idea of the different, the little black specks that you weren't sure what they were in the food and whether or not that you're absent or not. I don't know that. I mean, that to me, too, is between you and your sponsor. But I will share with you um, something that happened to me, and it's specifically around the phenomenon of craving. I had been abstinent for several years, and um, I was always in the habit when I had a food thought to tell my sponsor. And every day when I would talk with her, there for a period of time, I would be like, you know, I just really want. Are we okay to mention specific foods here? I guess I already have, but I just go ahead. Really, thank you, Leah. I really wanted Dunkin' Donuts, and I said to her one morning. Um, I just really, I, I just really want Dunkin' Donuts today. Next morning, I just really wanted Dunkin' Donuts today. These were that was a really huge binge food for me. And every day, it was there for like five or six days in a row. I would just when I committed my food, when I read my assignments, when we prayed, I would just tell her that. And then one morning, I told her, "I'm going today for donuts. I'm going." And she stayed on the phone with me as long as she could. And then she said she would only get off the phone with me if I went to, if I committed that I would get on the phone with someone else. Because I was, I was ready. I was going to go. I was going to go. And this was after a couple, I don't know, two or three, four years of abstinence and, um, and working the program. And so I got on the phone with somebody else. And in the conversation with this phone, who was, this, this person who was just on the other line just being with me so I didn't go out to eat, um, this person asked me, how's your food? Is your food clean? And I said, yes, my food is fine. Well, we talk about other things. How's your food? I said, my food is fine. Anything new? No, everything is fine. And then um, asked me again. By this time, I'm really ticked. I'm thinking like, what, do you think I'm lying to you? Yes, I'm cleanly abstinent. Everything's fine with my food. And then I remembered. I've been drinking a new tea, and it was a Christmas tea, and it was called Sugar Plum Spice, and I went and got the tea out of the cabinet, and I looked at the ingredients, and the ingredients were was barley malt, and at the time, barley malt was, was okay on my food plan, and I am, and I had to put down that tea. I was willing to not have that tea. But I want to tell you, I went through some detox. And I am convinced that those, that minute amount of barley malt, which is, which is by some people considered a form of sugar, those effects of, of that sugar, for me, that sugar item, 
set up a physical craving in me. And I was ready to go and eat and binge and, and go. And I will tell you, I, I am convinced beyond a doubt that those of us who have this aspect that are truly chemically dependent upon certain, our bodies are different, I believe that those small amounts can be fatal for me. And not everybody may, may identify that or think it's, you know, whatever, but I know for me, it was those small, minute, minute, minute amounts um, that my body is hypersensitive to. So that's what I share with you around that. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you, panelists, for responding to Carolyn's question. Carolyn, we thank you. Let's move on to Cheryl now. Cheryl, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Cheryl, star one to unmute if you still have a question for our panelists. Hello, good morning. This is Cheryl. And can you hear me? Yes. And thank all the panelists um, for their share. Um, I really got so much out of everybody. It was just so amazing, um, the group of women that um, shared their information. Um, This is my first time on this um, meeting um, vision for you. Um, Someone gave me the information. Um, um, One of my concerns and questions, I guess, I'm not sure, but just some feedback. Um, One, the holidays. Um, I'm new, sort of new in recovery, and just struggle sometimes with abstinence, being really clean. Um, I'm abstinent today, thank you, God. However, um, a constant. I'm not food neutral at all. Um, I got so much out of. Um, I think it was Mary who said, um, "Read the doctor's story daily, three times a day." I'm going to do that. Um, always want to shy away from the uh, big book, um, but after hearing you ladies speak today, I see the importance of it. Um, I'm always um, got food thoughts in my head. Just struggling just feel like I'm missing something in my um in my program and then the holidays I'm terrified of oh my god am I going to stay absent how am I going to go around my family how am I going to fellowship with people who are not like me and then when I try to gather um people from my fellowship together let's do something outside um our the rooms let's get together let's eat together let's do whatever together you know it's hard people you know they don't want to you know you can't get them outside of the room so to speak um i don't know what's the solution for that because i believe that you know if this is a lifetime thing for me um i need to be with like people i need to eat with you and fellowship with you and talk with you and you know um you know calling people on the phone you know i i don't you know, I don't get a lot of people who really know the big book all that well. And even my sponsor, um, we don't really talk big book a lot. You know, uh, work the 12 steps. How do I, you know, do that with a person that, you know, that doesn't offer that? Or how do I find a sponsor? Or when do I know if I need to re um, get a new sponsor? And how do you find a sponsor who 
knows the 12 steps and were able to work the 12 steps. I like with um, the panelists just said, somebody come up saying, how is your food? How is your food? And she was like, well, you know, what do they think? I told you I'm abstinent. Well, they helped her identify with the barley and the tea, you know, and learning what my trigger foods are and working around a fellowship. We welcome you, Cheryl. We welcome you. Shall we ask a panelist to respond to a some of these questions you might have. Thank you, Mary. Okay, thank you. Welcome, Cheryl. Go ahead, Mary, please. Thanks. Oh, Cheryl, wow. Lots of really, really good questions and struggles. I mean, this is the, this is the basics. This is the bottom lines of how do we do this. Um, I have so many. I was taking notes as you were sharing and so many different things that I can respond to. respond to. First of all, thank you and welcome to the Vision for You meeting here. Uh, your first time on the call. Um, first of all, you have probably, I don't know the numbers on this call right now, but there's probably over 200 people on this call right now because there usually is, and um, and a lot of people who can help you and guide you and give you some feedback and support around how to, um, you know, what kind of, how to find a sponsor that, that um that may be able to help you with the with the twelve steps, and um, how do you get through it? One of the things: how do I get through the holidays? And the thing that comes to me is one day at a time, and and it's just another day. You know, what is it for? Uh, for um, what is Thanksgiving? You know, it's Thursday. You know, what is Christmas this this year? It's Wednesday, and uh, it's just another day for me to be abstinent. Another day for me to put to build my life around what I do for my recovery rather than my recovery around what I do for my life, whether it be a holiday, whether it be my birthday, whether it be, you know, a funeral that I'm going to, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, my life has to be built around, first of all, what I need to do for my recovery. Um, the other thing that I thought about very specifically is from the big book when you were talking about how do you, how do you, in, you know, enjoy your family, be with be with people, you know, you're always thinking about food, you always have food thoughts in your head, you're not food neutral. So I think about it in terms of other addictions. You know, if a if a guy is or a, someone is an alcoholic, you know, and constantly thinking about booze. It might be really dangerous for them for them to go around places where booze is served um, until they get that that separation, that psychic change, that that difference, and where the cravings not there, where they're not where they've um, recoiled from it, as if from a hot hot flame. And the same with food. You know, um, the big book is really clear, starting at the bottom of page 100, and then through the end of. Um, the chapter working with others, but particularly in about there's four or five paragraphs in here that talk about assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things that alcoholics are not supposed to do. It talks in here about um, an alcoholic who cannot meet the conditions still has an alcoholic mind. There's something wrong with their spiritual status. And it, it guides us in here to ask, us, ask some questions as to whether or not it's even appropriate for me to go certain places. And I will tell you, sometimes it is not. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody that I was talking with um, who, who she goes around her family, first year, first Christmas that she's going to be abstinent, she goes around her family in the past, she 
she gets triggered. You know, big book guys is here. You know, um, have I a good social or business or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to feel a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. I'm on the top of page 102. Go or stay away, whichever seems best, but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in, in going is, entire, is thoroughly good. And for me, being in fit in spiritual condition here, when I think about this, is do I know who I am? Do I know who I am? Do I know that I have this allergy of the body, obsession of the mind? Do I know that I am an addict? that cannot risk being in situations where my disease might get triggered again. And this is maybe not forever. Maybe, Cheryl, this might be just, I'm not suggesting you do that, but maybe that's just for this year. You know, sometimes we, I think it all, oh, my God, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to enjoy Christmas again. No, maybe just this year I can't partake in some of the things. But I will tell you, we open our home all the time, and we get together with a lot of recovering people at meals. Best way to celebrate, bring your meal over. We'll eat together. <laughs> and, um, and so there are ways, especially when we're struggling, to connect with other people who are doing what we're doing and, um, and not putting ourselves in, da- in dangerous situations. Um, and that's okay. Nobody needs to understand this except me. And if I understand it, and if I get it, then I may be able to do this, to go to the length that I need to do in order to keep myself safe. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome. This is Esther. Thank you. I to, sorry. Thank you, Mary. Yes, Esther, go ahead, please. Hi. Thanks, Cheryl, for the for the question. That's a great question because I find a lot of newcomers to this meeting or to Overeaters Anonymous in general, they're hearing lots of ideas. They know. They know it's speaking to them, and they're just wondering how to proceed. And now we've got the holidays coming. You've got the holidays coming. That's an extra little piece there. So what I tell someone who's ready to begin is, and we've heard it on this line, uh, this is on this um, meeting where I learned this, is to have a, a three-point plan here. The first is a, pl- a food plan. So sit down with your sponsor or with another recovered compulsive overeater and outline a food plan to make sure you've got a food plan that works for you, and certainly everything you heard here today should help you do that. The second plan I suggest is a plan for doing the steps, because we we've spoken today how doing the steps is going to um, doing the steps is going to bring us to that state called recovered, where we no longer have the mental obsession. So the question is, how are you going to do the steps? Get a sponsor to do the steps. Um, until or until you get, have a sponsor, you can uh, learn the big book, for example, with this um, Vision for You uh, meeting that we have here. But you have to understand the urgency of, of doing those steps as soon as you put the food down so that the mental obsession isn't going to – so you'll be able to outrun that mental obsession. And the third plan that you need to have is how am I going to stay abstinent while I'm doing the steps um, because it could be hard to be abstinent until we recover um, – so this is really the question you were asking about, and and again, to have a plan for that. This is where the tools of Overeaters Anonymous could come in really handy. You need to do what works for you. And I always advise is whenever you 
think about these things, you know, food plan, how, how, what are you going to do to, you know, get the steps done, and what are you going to do to stay abstinent while you do the steps, it's good to write these things down so and to start getting yourself into the groove of, of calling people, going to meetings, listening to recordings, whatever it is that you're going to do um, so that when you feel those moments come where, you know, you start to think about the food, you, you've already got people that you're, you know, accustomed to calling, um, and... And you could just, you know, pick up one of the tools that uh, that you've established. Um, I I found, for me, definitely for the first couple of years, I didn't eat anywhere. I didn't eat out of my house. I just could not. It was just too much to have to negotiate with the whoever was providing the food. If the food was good, wasn't good, you know. So for me, the safest thing to do was to eat before I went wherever I had to go, and. And truthfully, that's what I do mostly now as well. Like unless I, somehow, unless somehow I can't uh, arrange it otherwise, I just eat before I, or after I go to a function. And today, um, holidays or um, celebrations are not really about the food. I go there and enjoy the company, and I try to be as helpful as possible. So if I'm not eating, maybe I can, um, I don't know, hold someone's baby on my lap so that they could eat or, you know, I'm – Maybe I could be helpful. Maybe I could clean up. Maybe I could set up. Maybe I could. There's always something to do to help somebody. But one thing I wanted to mention is that was very helpful to me early on in program. It was around this time of year, on the holiday time, where somebody shared that um, they had someone in the family that would make a special food, special uh, food that was in the family. And I had that as well. There are certain foods in our family that my mother makes, and my grandmother made, and her grandmother, and. I, you know, I was thinking to myself, what's going to be when I'm going to be for the first time saying I can't eat that food, and that food, I don't know, it's practically, uh, it's practically sacred, right? Um, and it's not abstinent. So, if someone shared something with me, uh, which I might be helpful to you or the others on the line, is when she was offered a certain food at uh, at Christmas time, she told her mother, she said, Ma, I know you make this food because you love me. Um, so I'll tell you what, I, the love I'll keep, but the food. The food I'll keep on the table, but the love I'll take, because that's really the spirit in which it was made, and she would, you know, follow that up with a nice hug or whatever it was. So I found that helpful, um, you know, to me when I would attend, you know, close family gatherings where I couldn't partake of the food. I would remind them how how much um, the feelings and the, you know, how happy I was to be with them and celebrate with them, but that the food I would have to just leave aside. But, again, remember those three things that, you know, you need an action plan now, you know, which will include a food plan, a plan for how you're going to do the steps, and a plan for how you'll stay abstinent. Um, and I've heard people say that they did not attend gatherings for a long time until they were able to safely do so. So I hope that's helpful for you, Cheryl. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Thank you, Cheryl, for the questions. Sure, it's on a lot of people's thing? mind. Yes, please go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Um, just two quick things, actually. Um, so in Boston, and Mary had alluded to this, but um, just um, a lot of people taught me program family job, right? Like I put my program first, and uh, I know that that can sound crazy. If you're a mom, I'm not a mom. So it is easier for me to say that I get it. But um, I know I ha I do have things in my life that um, that I wanted to put before program, and when I put program first, everything else is um, gets the attention I need. And I also know the bigger a deal I make the food, 
the bigger a deal other people make it. So, like, I just keep it real simple. I say, you know, I tell people I have food allergies. If they ask me what that means, I say, you know, I, you know, the list is long. And I say, I just, you know, eat three times a day. And I just keep it simple, right? And um, I have found I gave my family a lot of time and a lot of leeway. Um, my dad thinks that OA is the best thing that ever happened to me, and he knows how he, he likes to, like, guess at how much food looks on a scale. My mom thinks OA is the craziest thing that can happen to me, but she supports me. So I find that, like, my attitude around it um, can impact people as well and um, just echo the two prior ladies just saying using the structure of, of program and meetings and phone calls and quiet time. Um, all of those things as you're working through the steps and after um, to help support you. That's why we're here. Thank you, Katie. Again, Cheryl, we thank you for your questions and encourage you to speak to us one-on-one. Anyone else with a question? Related to the doctor's opinion or anything that was shared this morning by our panelists? Star one to unmute. Do I hear Rebecca? Yes, it's Rebecca Leah. Yes, go ahead. Please speak up if you could. Okay, great. Okay, is this better? Yes. Okay. This is Rebecca. Thank you, everyone, for your service. My question today is um, regarding the definition of abstinence and that um, when I read or we read in an opening of an OA meeting, the definition of abstinence is the, well, actually it's difficult because we use the term in the definition, abstaining from compulsive overeating. So when I hear someone share with me that they've had a little of their binge food or even that extra green bean, um, but they haven't what they consider to be engaging in compulsively overeating or or binging, Um, the question becomes, have they broken their abstinence or haven't they if they didn't actually compulsively overeat? And would anyone care to address um, how how to look at that? This is Katie. Um, I... I know that I uh, I may not be like everybody else, and that's fine. This is just my experience. My experience is I had to get very black and white, Rebecca. Like, I, I can't rationalize a little bit of food or, like, a certain ingredient or, you know, like, for me, um, the minute I start justifying, rationalizing, and defending around the food, like, I'm on a slippery slope, you know, and um, it's like people say they binge but not on, you know, but on abstinent food, and I, I don't really understand that. Like, I, um, for me, it's like the food is, the food is like medication, and I take it in very precise quantities, and um, and that's it, and I, I don't justify, rationalize, or defend around it. I just I can't because I, I, I'm i a low, I, for me, I identify as a low-bottom um, compulsive overeater. And anything that, you know, is is doing that food stuff to me is going to eventually do that thing to me where it's going to take me down. So I'm just really black and white and surrendered around it. Um, 
and that's that's my experience. Thank you, Katie. Esther, please go ahead. Hi, thanks, Rebecca, for that uh, bringing that up. I I hear that question a lot of times, um, both for people who picked up that extra green bean and for people who are sponsoring people who pick up extra green beans. Um, so, uh, first of all, I, I try to get the person to understand what they've done, you know, on their own, at, rather than you know pronouncing people, you know, in relapse or yes or not abstinent. And the first thing I say to them is, well, what's your food plan? And they'll say, well, this is what I don't eat. And I say, well, you know, how do you – and what about volume? Because if someone's weighing and measuring their food plan, I'll say, well, did you, you know, measure what you were supposed to eat? Yes. And you ate beyond that, you know, and if they say yes, I said, so you, you've you got a written food plan and you've eaten something that your food plan says is, is compulsive overeating. So have you – are you or are you not abstinent? you know, according to that definition, which they're not, right? Because they've outlined, they have themselves had outlined and made a commitment to, you know, what, you know, what for them is, is you know, an abstinent food plan. If someone, for example, isn't uh, generally weigh and measure their, their food, but what they're describing is where they've, you know, done their, you know, their meals over and, you know, then they've reached for more. So that's the same thing. Your Your meal's over and you've reached for more what does your food plan say that you can just eat and eat and eat until you feel like it? I mean, even people who aren't actually putting food on a scale usually have a way of quantifying what they're eating to make to ensure that they're not eating too much. So um, it's it's a uh, it's a very common thing I hear where people and I hear people say all the time. They said, "Yeah, I, I haven't gone back to sugar and flour, but you know, I've been overeating on 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 abstinent foods." Well, if you're you're overeating and your your food plan requires you to be maintaining or moving towards a healthy body weight then then according to your your own definition you're not abstinent which means you're you're in relapse meaning you've taken control back of your food you're not you haven't quite admitted 100% that you're powerless so that's try to have the try to have a conversation with someone to bring them to the understanding of the importance the severity of what they've done um and uh, that's it. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Mary, did you Mary. want to add to that? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I am on the OA website right now, and I'm reading, um, Abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight, spiritual, emotional, and physical recovery, is the result of living the Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program. And to me, when I, when I hear something like that, um, I, that, that I think of as compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. Um, and I know a lot of, uh, I often is like, oh my God, what is the difference between eating an extra green bean? What is the big deal? It's not like I ate a cake, you know? And uh, but for me, with someone uh, with a mind like mine, that is a big deal for me. Um, the uh, because what it does for me is it starts me into thinking that I have control, that I should be able to control what I eat, and um, I this idea of overeating on abstinent foods. I don't believe there's anything. There's nothing. There is no abstinent food. There is no abstinence. There's no such thing as abstinent food. 
There's foods on my food plan and foods not on my food plan. And so for me, I was eating foods on my food plan thinking I was so abstinent, but I was very much engaged in compulsive eating. And um, for me, that extra string bean, for me, is a compulsive act. Now, does that mean that I may set off a phenomenon of a craving and, and go and binge? I don't know. But for me, whenever my self-will gets involved around my addict, around my food, that is a real big warning sign for me. So that's all. Rebecca, thank, thank you, you for an important question. Thank you to the panelists for Hi. your responses. Thank you very much, everyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone else Chai? with a question? Liba Chaya, your turn. Yeah, I just want Hi, this is Liba Chaya. Um, so I, you know, I was quote unquote abstinent for whatever seven, it seemed like seven years, but um, then I went into a, I had a whole relapse and I was binging and purging. Um, I had about four of them, and I committed to. I got a new sponsor, whatever, a temporary sponsor, and I committed my food and I wasn't binging and purging, but then I did this thing where I had a a decaf coffee on Friday night, which I had not committed, and uh, multi Shabbos, I did the same thing, and on Sunday, I did, um, I had made some vegetables, and I took a little bit of the juice, and ate that, so okay, I I agree, I'm listening to all of you, I'm thinking, okay, fine, so that's compulsive overeating. My question is, is it takes 30 days to get the flour and sugar, and I'm counting now, today will be, you know, God willing, will be 12 days without flour and sugar, and I'm binging, but... I had those three, you know, those three days where, you know, I had the, the decaf coffee and the, um, and again, you know, wasn't the, it's not been the encouraging, the and, and the juice from the vegetables. And my question is, is it going to take thirty days? Is it is is it the same? Libachaya star one to mute. Okay, hi. I'm sorry. I don't know which part mm-hmm. you didn't Your hear me question, from. please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the question is, it takes 30 days to get the flour and sugar out of your system. Does that also include the, um, you know, if I had the decaf coffee and the, I had two decaf coffees, that I, I had the decaf coffee Friday night, a decaf coffee Saturday night, and then I had the vegetable juice on Sunday. It wasn't flour and sugar, but they were, you know, definitely, as, as I'm listening to you, they were not... They were compulsive overeating. Does it also take 30 days to get that out of your system, or is it just flour and sugar? Do you thank you. The this is, this is thank Mary. You for the question. Mary, go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you, Liba Haya. Um, I'm sorry if I don't pronounce your name quite exactly correctly. Um, I've never read any place where it takes 30 days to get sugar and flour out of your system. I don't know any anything that's been written on that specifically, that it takes that long. So I... Don't I have I I I can't identify whether yes or no. I I would have no idea about that. But it might take 30 days <laughs> for me to get my thinking straight again. You know that's I think part of it. You know because it's again it's it's the food is but a symptom. You know yes we have to look at the addictive substances. Yes you know the phenomenon of craving 30 days, 40 days, 50 days, two days. I don't know. But I will, but I will tell you that when I make a, a self-will, a compulsive self-will decision about my a decision, or make a decision about food or about anything, you know, 
my thinking may need to be looked at. And maybe that, you know, 30 days set aside to work on my thinking because the, you know, the, the, the problem really centers, you know, in my mind and in my, you know, in my thinking. And um, so that's all I have to share on that. Thank you. Thank this you. Thank Katie. you. Libra. Yes. Go ahead, Katie. I, yeah. I just wanted to echo, like, I think that we can get really into talking about the idiosyncrasies. And I think what happens is it reminds me a lot of diet mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, you're good. If you eat this, you're bad. If you eat this, you'll withdraw. If you do this, you'll withdraw. If you do that, like for me, no food is safe, right? Unless it's within the confines. And this is just for me. This is not OA unless it's within the confines of my plan. So the minute I step out of that commitment around the food, I am taking my will back, as Mary so clearly articulated. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really know that there's a time frame on that. I got to look at that. I got to look at what, what, um, what lie was I telling myself? What curious mental blank spot did I allow to, you know, did I listen to? You know, because the, the book is full of these um, stories about people who are made, making all these resolutions about how they're not going to drink again, right? And then they find themselves doing it again, believing the lie that it's going to be okay, going to work on a, on a Tuesday morning um, and having, you know, minimal words with the boss, and yet then they find themselves face down. So it's all about looking at the mind, what's going on that you took the will back and, uh, and getting into the steps so that, you know, you can have enough awareness um, to be protected and safe. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, Leva Chaya, for the question. We encourage you to speak on this further. Perhaps one-on-one conversations would be helpful for you. Let's take one last question before we wrap up this morning's special edition. Are there any other questions on the line? Star Hi. Um, yes. Oh, okay. Um, my name is Sarah Hi, Grace. and from New York. I'm sorry. Sarah Grace, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, my, my question, this has just been absolutely so powerful, and thank you, thank you, and it, and it really does have me examining, you know, what, what I do. And um, I have just worked through the steps with a recovered sponsor, and it's, been, and it's not been the first time, but it's been the deepest, um, most phenomenal time. Um, however, um, you know, and I hate to admit this, but I'm indulging in, you know, something that for some people is absolutely fine. But for me, because of my health challenges and issues and stuff like that, this substance is not, you know, is not, um, you know, appropriate. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, most of you have talked about, you know, your plans and everything like that. Um Working through those 12 steps, you know, I mean, obviously it isn't magical because I'm still drinking coffee. And um, so what, what is it that I'm missing that um, I haven't let go of the coffee after working through very rigorously these 12 steps? You know, I know absolutely that it doesn't support my well-being. Um, so, you know, so I'm really, you know, wondering what, what, where do I need to go? I mean, obviously, you know, am I saying, you know, there's some, some um, split with higher power or God or something that I haven't let go of this substance that isn't working for me. So I guess I'm wandering now, so I guess I'll be quiet and let people respond. Thank you, Sarah This is Katie Z. Hester? 
Katie G, and then Esther. Thank you both. Mary. And um, Mary. I just Thank you. Say, I, I don't think you're missing anything. Um, I think um, for me, my experience is that I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, there are still times, these curious men- mental blank spots, where food and food behaviors, um, for me, not so much anymore, but I do, um, I, I have become more sensitive uh, around commitments that I've had to make to my sponsor. And it's just me looking to a human power to relieve my food addiction again, right? Like I'm just going back. And I would encourage you, especially if you've done the steps, I would look at the food, first of all. Like are you, are you, are you rationalizing, justifying, or defending a choice you're making? I would look at your quiet time with God. And I would look at your steps 10 and 11, right? Like if we're, if I'm not, for me, if I'm not staying free of resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear, then eating is going to be a step up. And I'm going to rationalize, justify, and defend going off my meal plan because of what other people are doing. So like as a recovered woman, my commitment every day is to stay abstinent um, uh, on the agreed food plan and to live in steps 10, 11, and 12, which requires a lot of work. And, um, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, I know for me when I took back foods that I had already committed, that's, um, you know, that's me looking to food to fix it. And, and, um, and, and that's what it is. It's making food God, right? It's just abusing that that food as a God and saying something, some human power is going to fix me. And, um, and that requires an entire psychic change, you know, going back to God, getting accountable, honesty, and, uh, and moving forward. If you cannot have coffee, then don't have coffee, no matter what, no matter what, don't have coffee. When that craving comes on, help others get out of yourself. It's your commitment and get out of yourself. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Esther. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, thanks for the question, Sarah Grace. Um, what I found helpful is to talk myself through it. So first of all, being recovered doesn't mean that we're done and that things aren't going to block us from my higher power. We've got work to do every day till till our, we end, till you know we live till an old age and and, and depart from this world. So there'll always be things that'll come between you and your higher power, and your job is to remove them. So I would just say to myself, and I've had this happen where there's a food and I and I see it's doing something to me, and I, you know, I would be reluctant to to you know address it or to just remove it from from my food plan. So I'd say, Esther, you know, let's say, let's talk about this food. Is it doing something for you? Yes, it's doing something for me. So who are you meant to be relying on? I ask myself. I'm meant to be, you know, removing the crutches from my life, not not uh, holding on to them. I'm meant to be you know, trust and relying on my higher power for that sense of ease and comfort. And then the next thing I say to myself, well, what's going to happen if you continue to rely on this crutch? Well, then I'm going to continue to be separated from my higher power. And what happens if you're separated from your higher power? I have no access to the power, the power that's actually keeping me recovered. So there's there's your answer. If you are blocked from your higher power on account of this, you know, cup of coffee that you're having – I don't know where it could lead you and how long it would take, but uh, at some point, for me, holding on to foods that I know are a problem for me, I, I would admit, I, I mean, I wouldn't even test it out. I just don't want to go there. I want to be far away from that. So when you asked, what is it 
that I'm missing, I think it's honesty to just to to you know if you could think it think it through and maybe ask yourself some of the questions that I've I've posed to to you know to see what is it the coffee's doing for you and and to understand the ramifications of of you know having a new crutch in your life or or something that just became uh, you know a crutch for you. And one thing I also like to do is I tell myself, you know, whether it's with food or anything, if I'm doing something that's a little sketchy, first thing I do is I call up my sponsor. If I can't, you know, reach them, I call up a recovered compulsive overeater, and I say, you know what I've been doing? I I want to share this because once I've spoken it out there, then it kind of brings the issue to the forefront, and then I can't ignore it anymore. Then to ignore it would be ex- extremely, you know, dishonest and and uh, you know could lead me to uh, to a terrible place. I personally, I don't want to go back to the life I had, so I'm willing to kind of bring these issues up and and deal with them because I'm af- I'm afraid I, I don't want my life to be over. I want to I want to live well and I want to stay recovered, and I hope that's helpful. Let that I'll pass. Thank you, Esther, and our final response from Mary. Uh, thank you, Sarah Grace, for for this question, and um, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can here. Um, first of all, I just want to make it clear that Overeaters Anonymous has no position on any particular food at all. And, um, so, but, and I clearly hear that, um, caffeine, caffeine is really the drug that you're talking about has, you have a problem with caffeine. And, um, so, uh, the other, the other two ladies have shared beautifully. So I'm just going to say about, you know, willingness is really the key here. If you have an honest desire to stop, if you have an honest desire to stop, then one of the things that I think about that I've been doing in my life on so many issues you can't even imagine, I use the third step prayer. So mm-hmm. in light of this situation, this is what I would say. God, I offer my maybe caffeine addiction or maybe my coffee craving. God, I offer my coffee addiction to you to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt relieve me of the bondage of my coffee addiction that I may better do thy will take away my difficulties with coffee that I'm that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power thy love and thy way of life may I do thy will always and I do that with with situations, with people, with pain, with decisions, with everything. My sponsor gave that to me one day. And I, I, I can like almost guarantee you, you start saying that prayer with your, with your problem, with your struggles with caffeine, and I'd be interested to see what happens. Thank you, Sarah Grace. Well, thank you all for everything that you said to everybody and and just this whole meeting. Thank you. And, again, this is Sarah Grace, and I just want to say, I think, first of all, you know, admitting it to how many ever people are here on on this meeting, you know, it's really helping me to say, okay, you know, I've admitted it out loud. Um, I, you know, there are people who are witnessing, and um, I'm ready to make this commitment for my 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 physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. So thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah Grace, for the question. Thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning, and of course, thank you to our panelists, Mary F, Esther C, and Katie G. Thank you for your time and sharing your personal experience with us. 
as it relates to the doctor's opinion and abstinence. And I'm going to close now this special edition in the way that A Vision for You always closes its meetings, and that's with the reading from page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you will understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.